0: This morning, as we go to God in prayer, I know that our thoughts are with those who experienced the rampage in Las Vegas this past week. And I know because some of the victims were from this area, some of you may know them. And we want to pause and pray for those who have a long recovery in front of them and ask for healing for all those affected. We want to commit those who died to the Lord and read their stories and talk about who they were. Because that's important to us as people. And we want to ask God to manifest His grace to those who are grieving, to ask the Lord to show His mercy to those who are angry and hurting. Jesus' death covers every sin, so we pray forgiveness for the person who did this, and we pray for new ideas and have dialogue about how it is that we keep people safe and to help how to help those who hurt others. There's an additional thought though that I want to add. There have been a few instances where people have said, I've heard in different places, mostly in response, I think, to our political leaders, that saying our thoughts and prayers are with the victims is a tired response. A do-nothing idea. I understand that people want solutions, and they want action, and they view prayer perhaps not as necessarily something that helps. But my friends, praying is what we should be doing more of, more and more each day, as people who are dependent on the Lord Almighty, if we take prayer out of the equation for our lives or for our nation, we are lost indeed. So we are dependent on the Lord, and the church needs to lead the way in that. And so I pray that in these days where we are experiencing um, such horror and we don't know how it's going to be when we turn on the news. I pray that we will be praying even more. And that you would avail yourselves of the things that we offer. On Wednesday mornings, I'm here to pray. Just to pray for the needs of the world. Just to pray for where, whatever it is that the Spirit leads us to pray. This uh, new thing that TJ and Amanda Sayer are doing. Just come. Just come and pray. Just come and be led by the Lord in this place that is so familiar and like home to you. That's how change is going to happen. Of course, we're going to have to talk and dialogue and we pray for our leaders who are having serious conversations, but let the people of the Lord lead the way in how it is that we beseech the Lord for the things that are happening in our world. Today we continue in the book of Mark, Mark one, fourteen through twenty. I was reminded yesterday, again, of how single decisions, single moments can change a person's life. Mark and I were able to spend the afternoon at a fundraiser for the Santa Barbara Rescue Mission, where our own Denny Wayman was honored for his work of coming alongside so many in recovery. We're very proud of that ministry and of Denny. After Denny spoke, we heard an amazing testimony from Travis, a recent graduate of the recovery program there, that provides hope and help for those in the grip of addiction. These stories are so compelling because they show us the power of God at work to bring a real change in someone's life. Travis gave a familiar background of how he grew up in a loving home and was introduced to alcohol and pot at an early age, and how after high school his addiction grew to include more dangerous drugs. While he admitted this started out as a fun time in his life, he portrayed how his path became littered with broken relationships, dead ends, decaying morals, and jail. When Travis was released, he committed to stay clean and sober, but he quickly began to fall into old, destructive patterns. Eventually, one of his sisters brought him to the rescue mission for help, where he did not, of course, want to be. And when the intake counselor spoke to him, Travis was asked if he was willing to stay for a year, because anything less than that wouldn't work, and he might as well walk away right now. When he decided to say yes to this commitment, he shared about how his life changed dramatically, It was a lot of work and support. But five years later, standing in front of us, he was completely sober with a good job at a fiancé, trust in God and reconciled family relationships. He continues to go back to the rescue mission twice a week, both for his own health and to help others on their journey. This was the best moment of the whole time, to hear Travis give praise to God for the new life that he had been given. Here in the book of Mark, we have a few verses about the beginning of Jesus's ministry. They tell of how a single decision changed the course of the lives of four fishermen who were invited to a new adventure. And again, we're reminded of how important these moments are of being invited to follow, of being invited to serve, of being invited to choose a different path than the one that we have been on, being invited to commit to the Lord. These decisions then draw us into a journey that bring life-altering transformation and grand adventure. So here are the word of the Lord from Mark one fourteen through 20. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God, saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. As Jesus passed along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fish for people. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. As he went a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, who were in their boat mending the nets. Immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Father, please make your word real to us through the power of your spirit. Amen. Remember this is Peter's testimony of how it is that he came to know Jesus. He is telling us through Mark the details of what he first remembered when he first followed the Lord. The things that were said, what was happening on that day when the Lord showed up and offered them a different life. What Jesus does is simple here. He speaks the truth. He tells the people how to respond to that truth. And then he invites them to be part of God's work. But do not be lulled to sleep by the simplicity. For it is often in the everyday moments of life that God meets us out of nowhere. And today might be one of those days for us. Jesus begins his ministry where John left off, proclaiming the good news of God. Another word for proclaiming here is preaching. Jesus is a preacher who came to speak eternal life to all who would hear. We often talk about Jesus as being a great teacher, a shepherd, but we don't always think of him as being a preacher But Jesus' first words in the book of Mark show him preaching the word as he announces that the time has come. The kingdom is near. Today, I was thinking about how there are open-air preachers, and I'm always in awe of how they just go out there and give witness to Christ. Isn't that terrifying? If that doesn't terrify you, you might have a call on your life to go and be an open-air preacher. There's a guy on the west side with a microphone who stands on the sidewalk a few times a week where many people drive and pass by. At UCSB, they have people who come to engage with people who are often rude to them in front of the library about Christianity. It may seem maybe not effective to some, but we need all kinds of people who are announcing the kingdom in countless ways. This is how this seed gets planted. I hope that when you go by some of those people one day, that you will say, preach it. Or you will pray for them. Or you will commit to just talk to somebody you know about the Lord. Jesus preached to many. And then he talked to each one. One. The truth that Jesus speaks is so familiar. We want to stop for a second and absorb the words again. The time is fulfilled, he said, and the kingdom has come near. What you need to know about these words is that kingdom here is not a realm, but it is the act of reigning. Often we speak of the kingdom as a place, and it is, where God is sovereign. We live in the kingdom that is already present but not quite what it will be. Here, when Jesus is speaking of the kingdom, he is saying how God's reign has come to them, that God is reigning, and they can access and be part of that. They can choose to be part of the king's life. Now, God's realm has always existed, but it has been revealed in different ways over time. And Jesus says the time has come for the king's promised life to be present right in front of you. Well, the message is similar to John's. His tactics are different. People went out to the river to see John in the wilderness. Here Jesus is coming to see them. Scholars write that while people in the big city of Jerusalem often considered Galilee to be a backwater, in actuality it was not. It was a place full of busy life. It stood in a strategic place where traders and important people passed through. It had a sophisticated population of Syrians and Jews, Romans and Parthians, where people with a mix of languages and races and wealth mingled freely. It could be a tense place of politics and heated religious debates. But Jesus doesn't stay out in the desert. He goes... To the real world to where the people are jesus is speaking live here telling people the time is now don't wait don't wait because the kingdom has come and it is being fulfilled in front of you in the reign of god the king is accessible to all they understood bad leaders they understood leaders who didn't care about them but this is a different kind of king This is one who wants to come and help them to truly be better people and to live better lives. The king comes not as a benefit to himself or because he's some kind of popular person, but because he truly wants to inhabit the lives of those who want to know him, who want to trust him. The simple truth that Jesus came to give is even more real for us now because globally we have constant access to the Lord. But let's not forget that this message is about how God rules. So we pause to think about how we understand God's kingship in our lives, how we understand God's sovereignty over all It is his love that we're compelled to. It's his truth that we're drawn to. But we understand that he reigns as king when we commit to follow him. So how did you submit to God's rule in your life this week? How did he prick your conscience? How did he call you? To do something for him. How did he hem you in. When you wanted to do something. That didn't please him. How is he calling you to deeper obedience. Given through his grace. Jesus then tells them. How to respond to the truth. That he has come to give. He says repent. And believe in the good news. I I was thinking when I was writing this. I feel like we've talked a lot about repentance lately. But I want to hit it from one more angle. If I just could. Repentance is a change of mind about the wrong thing that we have done, but there is sorry for being caught and there is sorry for what we did and they are not the same. I know. Can I get an amen about that? This is why repentance is a choice that we have to be fully clear about in our own minds when Jesus tells its people to repent, he is urging them, don't be sorry just because I'm calling you out. But be sorry, so sorry that if you engage in that action again, it would break your heart. That you wouldn't engage in that action again, even if you were insured that you wouldn't be caught. Be genuinely sorry for the wrongdoing that you have done for grieving God, for hurting others. Being sorry is more than just saying the words that people expect us to hear. And that level of repentance sometimes takes a little process and time. Many years ago, we as a staff were having difficulty being on time to meetings. So we instituted a standard where we would have to write a note of apology when we were late. If you needed help, there was a form that you were given that would give you some words to use. (laughs) And one day, there was an instance when someone had to write the note for the first time, and they looked at the form, and they started laughing and said in front of all of us, yeah, well, what if I'm not really this sorry? (laughs) Yeah, that's the truth. What if we're not really sorry? Sorry. What if we admit wrong to smooth over feelings or to appease an authority, but we don't really have interest in changing our behavior much? I appreciated that this person was willing to tell the truth about how they felt. But when we're confronted with how we've wronged others, especially when it's something very serious, we need to think about if we really mean it when we say that we're sorry. And if we don't mean it, why don't we mean it? Is it because we think that it's ridiculous that the person is calling us out? Because their viewpoint is less than what we think it should be? We really have to process and think about not just saying sorry for the sake of moving on, but really allowing God to deal with us in our hearts. The king will help us in its difficult work. The unspoken promise here that Jesus gives us is that those who repent will find freedom for their sin. And the good news is that repentance is how we gain entrance into the kingdom. Believe that the Lord wants to forgive. He wants to take our sin and shame. And Jesus is saying, it's time. It's time for you to repent. This is part of my own testimony. I had known about Jesus. I had prayed to him as a child and heard about him from various believers. I was in the process of learning about him and thinking about what I was going to do about him as a 13-year-old, but I hadn't quite committed. And in a darkened auditorium in Sacramento where I was attending a convention with my youth group, Jesus told me, Colleen, get up. It is time for you to follow me to believe in the good news that I came to bring. I wasn't emotional at all, although my youth leader was crying buckets. Not exactly sure why that is. Like, she was so glad a great sinner had come to the Lord. I don't know. But I think that she was thrilled that the Lord had made himself real, was making himself real, and that I chose to follow him. One last thought here. Jesus exhorts listeners to believe the good news. And that strikes a chord with us because there's so much bad news and God gets so much bad press around us. It would have been the same in Jesus' day. And we have to fight the idea that God's good news is not really good at all because that is a lie. Let us continue to put our faith, allowing the Holy Spirit to assure us of what we cannot see to have the conviction of what we know to be true, to be the guiding reality of our lives. May we all keep figuring out what it means to fully trust God in a culture that does not trust him, where there is danger all around us, where we have difficulty loving others because Jesus has come to bring the good news. Jesus then invites people to be part of his work. Josephus, the Jewish historian, writes that in his day, around the time of Jesus, there could be over 300 fishing boats out in the water of Galilee, in this part of the country. Fish, of course, was the mainstay of the Palestinian diet. When you put the uh, gospel side by side, you see that this is not the time Jesus had interaction with these guys. They've heard him teach and talked with him a bit you see the scene how Peter remembers it, their nets being cast out into the sea, which are then left behind. Zebedee's boat with his sons and helpers mending nets. Jesus passes by and offers the opportunity to come with him, and they immediately jump at the chance. They don't clean up. They don't say goodbye. They don't ask pertinent questions. What was vital to them a few seconds before? It's just left behind for them to go and follow. Jesus is issuing the invitation for them to come. And in this scene, one understands how Jesus is a leader of people. He is building his team with regular guys who have jobs quite unrelated to growing the kingdom. He doesn't start with polished religious people who are renowned for their theology. His goal is different in the way that we might understand. He wanted people he could train, who could be teachable, who would be his partners in all that had to be accomplished. He put it in language they could understand. You know how to fish. Great! I will teach you how to cast your nets, and together we will catch people for God. Author Warren Weersby says that the qualities of being a good fisherman would make for success in the difficult ministry of winning lost souls. He said it takes courage, the ability to work together, patience, energy, stamina, faith, and tenacity. His opinion is that professional fishermen can't afford to be quitters or complainers. Neither can workers for the kingdom of God. Jesus knew something about these guys that he wanted to help develop. This is how the church is sustained as a movement. Those who have experience and maturity help bring those who need to be taught how to trust God, how to work for him, who he is. This is how the church has survived. Those entrusted with the word of truth pass it along to those who come later by the Spirit's power. Jesus begins with repentance, which was John's main message. But that's why John said, there is one who is coming who is greater than I am. Because there's so much more to the the kingdom than just turning from sin. It's a whole life that is sweeping in significance and surprising where it goes. Listen to what Albert Schweitzer, theologian and scholar, says. He comes to us as one unknown, without a name, as of old, by the lakeside. He comes to those men who knew him not. He speaks to us the same word, follow thou me, and sets us to the tasks which he has to fulfill for our time. He commands, and to those who obey him, whether they be wise or simple, he will reveal himself in the toils, the conflicts, the sufferings which they shall pass through in his fellowship, and as an ineffable mystery. They shall learn in their experience who he is. At the core of the Christian faith is how Jesus invites us to follow him. Everything we believe and everything that we do come from this truth. God enabled us to choose him. And we're able to follow Jesus because he alone has brought the kingdom of God to us. He has offered us salvation for our souls and asked us to work for him. So today tell somebody how it is that the Lord invited you to follow him. Tell somebody what does that following look like for you right now because following Jesus is not a one-time moment. Like much of life, it is a daily surrender to God's will as we acknowledge that we cannot make it on our own. So let us take time now for how God might speak to us about how we might follow him next.